work uh, properly there. There's the button. It's the but. It was the button. I don't know what the button did or why it wasn't working, but it didn't. All right, hello and welcome to Nice and Nothing, a podcast for gamers on a budget. I am your host, Danny K. With me, as always, the wonderful, the beautiful, the Mister Green Elite. How you doing, Green? I'm doing pretty good. I had uh, I had all day off of work today, you know, so uh, I spent a good good portion of my day streaming and just having a good time, you know. You know what I mean? Yeah, all all day off work, huh? All day off work. Yeah. How was your day? You know, not bad. I've had a I've had a weird one. Um, and it's only gotten a little bit more weird. So, <laughs> real quick, <laughs> I'll introduce our guest. Rev's off this week. Uh, our guest is the powerful and just as beautiful Austin from Everd Saga. Howdy. Who, <clears throat> we are sharing one mic, so if the audio quality's a little off, I apologize. Um, real quick, I, I just want to blow some smoke up your butt. And, oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> before Next to Nothing, before Twitch streaming, me and Austin here were co-hosts at our college radio station. That's how we met. Yep. Um, super intelligent guy and an absolute warrior poet and badass. He, you are, you are. Um, so I'm really happy to have you here. Happy to have you in studio for the first time, our live guest. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> a living, breathing guest. That doesn't happen in, in Danny K's house very often. <laughs> no, very rarely do. I mean, I, I think I've said it a couple times to you already, Dave. But like, there is. This is a bachelor zone. This is a single bachelor zone with like dirty laundry out in the open and <laughs> beer bottles everywhere. It's, it's, uh, thankfully it doesn't stink, but. I'll let you in on a little secret. Mm-hmm. I've been married for five and a half years now. I still have parts of my house that look like a bachelor zone. <laughs> it's, it's all right. <laughs> so, um,. We brought you on for a very specific reason, and uh, that is your home, your your RPG homebrew uh, situation. Why don't you go on ahead and uh, plug yourself in some of the things that you do with that right now? Okay, so I am undertaking a, a pretty ambitious project uh, that is essentially I want to write a book. I, specifically, I want to write a series of books about the tabletop role-playing campaign that I've been running with my friends for over five years now. And to sort of do that, I'm, I'm not a, a published author. Um, I am an amateur at this point, and so I'm working my way there by doing a bunch of other fun stuff that I think is is really helping me gain the experience and sort of craft my writing style, all the while still playing this game with my friends and still developing the plot that will eventually be part of these hopefully published stories. Um, so I'm my most recent chapter of this has been starting a YouTube channel to discuss Evard Saga, which is the name of this whole series. Um, and there's not a ton there now, but it's just Evard Saga on YouTube. And I've been putting out roughly once a week a video explaining either uh, the how Evard Saga works from me making it available to you or actual content about the world of Evard that the stories take place in. 
Um, but aside from that, my big thing right now is I'm compiling a wiki, uh, just a big database for all things about this fictional world that is a complete homebrew for my game. And this isn't like, it's a small place that has like two kings and three, I don't know, three cities. Like this is as large and dynamic a world as my, my mind can coherently create for people to experience. Uh, so it's, it's a lot of writing right now and just building uh, this, this wiki about this stuff and then coming and doing stuff like this to talk to people and just enthuse about role-playing games, whether that's Dungeons & Dragons or Pathfinder or Star Wars Saga Edition, name your mechanics system, uh, but they're they're super fun, and I, th I personally think there's a game for everybody, and so I just like to talk about it and tell the stories. Awesome, yeah, that's one of those things. We've talked about D&D before. A lot of times we talk about modules. Um, one guest we've had on in the past was uh, Reed Actually, who was the DM for the podcast um, Sneak Attack, one of my favorite D&D uh, podcasts. Um, and shout out to that whole staff. We also had uh, Joshua Lorimer on as well. So D&D is not something that we are new to. We've talked about it before. I've played plenty of D&D. Um, Green's played with me as well. Um, and we're always excited to talk about D&D, uh, which we'll kind of get more into the homebrew stuff uh, here later in the show. Yeah. Um, but with that being said, guys, we appreciate you for watching and listening. If this is your first time with us, we hope that you guys enjoy and get a lot of value out of the show. Uh, if you guys miss any part of the show, you can find us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are found. Every week we do have a question of the week, and this week brought to you by Mr. Mr. Um, Austin here. Going ahead and... There it is. Now it works. What is one place that you haven't been to but would love to? Any place that you've been uh, that you that you haven't been want to for vacation or any particular um, any other trip, business trip, or anything like that? You want to go ahead and uh, give your answer? Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, for me, I am really wanting to go to Iceland um, when. When you mentioned me being a, a Viking earlier, I can't remember if we were on air yet or not, uh, but I, I do Viking, Viking reenactment uh, a few times a year. And so I, I portray an early settlement era Icelander, but I've never actually been to Iceland, so I would love to actually go and experience all the, the natural beauty and history that that place has to offer. Yeah. Uh, Green, how about you? I've always wanted to visit Bora Bora, Tahiti. <laughs> right? Tahiti? Bora Bora Tahiti. Yeah, it's Bora yeah, Bora so. Tahiti. Yeah. Um, they had those, like, bungalows over the, the ocean. They're, like, five grand a night. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag worth it. <laughs> Sounds pretty nice with so, how cold it, it is looks, outside. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, we're we're in uh, negative degrees right here, so like Bora Bora does sound nice. Um, <laughs> I, I know I've mentioned it on the stream before, but I want to go to um, the Levant or the Middle East very specifically. Go see like Turkey and Damascus and Israel, all those places. But uh, they're a little... Um, uh little beheady over there sometimes so uh <laughs> not exactly something I've, I've been um 
Not, not exactly the place I want to be at right now. Uh, so go on ahead. Let us know in the place uh, the, the your answer to the question of the week. Uh, you guys can also tell us in the YouTube comment section, or you guys can tweet at us. Um, if you guys have any questions for Austin, you guys can also tweet at us, and I'll get them to him. Um, and a link to his channel will be in the description of this episode and in the cards. So if you guys see that, um, I'll say right now on YouTube is when a card will pop up for his YouTube channel. So make sure you check that out. Uh, Green, we got a game. Yeah, yeah we had a game. We had a game, all right. Yeah, so uh, this game is called Project Winter. It is a top-down, eight-person social deduction game that is essentially among us having a love child with Don't Starve. I think that's pretty yeah, accurate. Yeah, it's pretty accurate, yeah. Um, pretty solid description. It, so the basic basics of this game is players must complete a series of tasks using resources they find on a map to escape the map while also trying to discover who among them is a traitor. Um... Huh. I need to fix something here. One moment. Um, Green, what's your quick, like, what's your, we, we played, we got what, about two hours in? Yeah, I would say about two hours, yeah. What are your quick impressions of this game? Quick impressions, I don't know if it's worth the full price tag that it has on Steam right now. Um, it would, it, I think it would be definitely more fun if we had a full eight person group. Mm hmm. Um, and it's it's relatively easy to do that with like Among Us um, because it it was a relatively cheap game. It was you know five dollars. Yeah. Um, this game uh, right now base price is nineteen ninety nine. Um, the it, I wouldn't necessarily call it like true top down. I mean it's more of like a you know sixty degree angle isometric. Um, yeah, yeah. Um. I felt like a lot of the times the um, traders would win. Uh, I I never experienced uh, um, actually playing as the trader, um, but every time that we we every match we played, um, we we lost no matter what we did. Um, even we got extremely close, but uh, so I, I think this game needs balancing. Um, for the most part, that that would be my quick assessment. This, it, it it's rough right now. Yeah, and Not I'm horrible. Yeah, my my first impressions are are pretty much along the lines there. Um, so the game, so technical specs and some pricing specs here. Uh, the game is currently available on Windows and available through Steam. As Green said, it's nineteen ninety nine or twenty dollars USD is what MSRP is for. Uh, the lowest listed price that I found on Steam DB is six dollars and seventy nine cents. Um, for anyone that's interested who might want to play this, minimum specs are Windows seven and AMD FX sixty three hundred or third or fourth gen. Um, Gen i3 if you're on Intel. Uh, 4 gigs of RAM are required. A GTX 60, uh, 660 Ti or an HD 7870 with 3 gigs of hard drive space and broadband internet connection because it is a multiplayer game. Um... Yeah, uh, someone just mentioned uh, the look of the game is really cool. It has a nice art style. It's pleasant to look at. Um... The game runs really, really well. I don't have any complaints about performance at all. Um, 
And on top of that, this isn't really a game that tests your reflexes. It's not like a first-person shooter where... Um, where your reaction speed really matters. So your frame rate isn't as big of an issue either. Um, you're not gonna see like a huge difference in your in your gameplay performance um, by how well your, your PC performs. Um, uh, basic gameplay loop for, for this is you spawn into the map and right away you have to gather resources uh, for crafting, uh, mostly basic tools like axes and picks. Um, you also have to get some food for survival, uh, meat, berries, which you can also cook to make them go further. Um, and you also have to, players also have to mind their temperature. If it gets too low, you can actually die. So there's some survival elements to this. It's not like, it's not just like Among Us where it's, you go around, um, and don't have to monitor anything other than the tasks. Um, you do have to be mindful of your place in the map and your your own uh, status. Um, there are also weather effects like storms that can be incredibly deadly, which I'll kind of get to my point uh, on that later. There are also mobs on the map, wolves uh, that can attack you and be fairly dangerous. Uh, deer, which can also be a source of food. Um, another big thing that this game has is its communication mechanics. Uh, radios. So everything, all the, the communication in the game is proximity-based, and the only way to communicate with somebody either privately or outside of your local proximity is through a radio. So if you're a trader, you actually spawn in with a red radio that can be used to communicate with tra uh, other traders. Um, you can, as an innocent, you can actually build radios and use the, I think there's two or three different color bands. I think there's like a blue radio, yellow radio, and a red radio. So you can use those, you can use different bands to um, communicate across the map and, and try to keep information away from uh, someone who you think might be potentially a uh, uh, trader. There are bunkers around the map that require multiple people to open. Uh, so you'll find things like mechanical parts, electronics, and fuel to fix the required stations in order to leave the uh, leave the map. Um, see, traders, uh, imposters have caches around the map where they can get weapons and traps to kill innocents. Um, there's also some other gear like they can um, they can get like gun parts to like make a gun and and uh, merc people with those um so that's kind of like the basics of the that's the the basics of the uh of the gameplay the win condition for the imposters is to kill all the innocents or just simply prevent them from escaping and innocents win by escaping which all just in saying the win condition i think a lot of people can see some of the problems that would um that would arise from that in terms of how lopsided that is um mind you it is timed too. yeah it is timed um overall the game isn't bad i think there is some rebalancing that needs to be done though uh it's just a little too easy for innocence to be to to lose and it seems mostly by weather effects that seem to be more like the, the lose condition or, you know, the weather really just seems to be more dangerous than the traders themselves, which is a bit anticlimactic. 
Like, you know, you're, you're spending all this time trying to figure out if the guy next to you is uh, trying to kill you or not. And then you all die to weather. Like, this still counts as a win for the traitors, regardless. Um... And then uh, there's one other thing I'd like to mention, and I don't usually like to mention it, but I feel like it is poignant in this case, and this is according to SteamDB. I was doing a little bit of research on the player numbers, and it hasn't really broken a 1,000 concurrent players in a little while, which might be of concern to someone who doesn't have friends interested in playing a game like this. Um, so that would be something something to pay attention to um again we've only played about two hours of the game so far so there's probably still some testing i'll kind of go back to it and do some testing but first impressions i'm pretty tepid on this i especially for the price um you might want to check out more reviews of this game uh before buying the game or you might want to catch it on one of the really good sales uh, someone said, uh, Zombie, who did play with us Friday night, said we played on uh, baby mode, which I agree with. We did play kind of on baby mode, but that's like the basic mode, so maybe there's more to be had there. Again, just first impressions. Um, we'll have to try out some new, some of the new modes. Um, anything you wanted to add to that, Green? You hit the nail on the head. It was you know, difficult as a survivor. Um, definitely something I would recommend waiting if it was on sale. Um, I don't think it was worth the full 1999 and i bought it with the dlc mm. so. gotcha austin thoughts questions opinions uh well i haven't i haven't played it this is the first i'm hearing of this game and conceptually i i like pretty much every aspect of this um i enjoy these sort of figure out who the traitor is sort of social challenge conspiracy games uh i i really enjoy those um, survival games like that uh, I, The Long Dark is a, a guilty pleasure of mine um, but so to, to hear that the, the balance is kind of offset in the community already seems to be pretty lackluster maybe not lackluster but pretty small uh, is unfortunate but it, I think it seems like a very interesting game if they can sort of tweak the stuff that's that's inhibiting it from being more yeah Sorry, we're getting we're sharing mics, so <laughs> if the uh, audio is off or you see me have to reach for the mic, I apologize. Um, yeah, so I'm curious to see where it's going to go. It's one again, it easily can be changed, and we only did play like the one mode. So if the other modes are different, um, I'll let you guys know at a later time. Um, if that's all we got for that, Green, do you want to move on to Destiny too? Yeah, we can move on to Destiny. Uh, so the new season, the season of the chosen, has uh, dropped today, officially today, um, at eleven uh, p.m. or eleven a.m. Central Standard Time. Um, there was about forty-five minutes of maintenance, roughly, so I had to wait to get in. Um, they introduced a, a new character. Um, they moved on with the new season story progression. Um, well, they've already introduced uh, the main character that we're essentially going to be opposing in the season um in the lore but this is the first time we're actually seeing them in game um they did introduce something called uh battlegrounds um, which is a new player activity um it's a three-man team you go in um essentially uh fight a wave destroy some um i would say like power coupling things uh which each 
thing you had to destroy, you had to uh, kill like a, a yellow bar boss um, to get the object to destroy it. Um, <clears throat> then you move on, and then there's a big boss at the end. Um, I found that the that uh, gameplay is pretty fun. That new activity, um, they have uh, some new weapons that they've introduced. A couple SMGs, uh, no new shotguns, uh, a new exotic bow, which I think has like really shaken up the meta in PvP that I've noticed so far. Um, the it's a bow that's exotic that tracks like if you shoot in the general vicinity of someone, like within like a you know certain certain amount of area it has some give and it actually tracks it's like a tracking arrow so uh that's pretty interesting um i've i've gotten killed by it so many times in pvp already <laughs> I've, only played, I've only played so long um uh the power has increased this season to 13 10. um the biggest issue i've noticed so far uh is there's for steam players right now there's an issue with uh, when you launch a new activity um whether it be crucible strikes or or even the battlegrounds the new activity um it has been prone to crashing the game uh completely so it'll freeze and then close out it doesn't give you an error or anything it just crashes um which bungie has said on twitter that they are working on a hot fix right now for so that's at least they're aware of it and they're they're working on it. Um, it can be very inconvenient. Um, it happened to me 12 times on stream. On the 12th time, I decided that I was done for the day. Uh, that was, you said that happened today? Today, yep, 12, 12 times. Yikes. Yeah. Um, so... Um, with that cra- with those crashes, hopefully that hotfix will come in soon. Um, they have also introduced a new, like, technically social area, but it's not very, like, you can go in with teammates, but it's it's called the Helm, which is like the, it's like a operating base within the tower that you can, um, you know, get items and stuff from as well. So, the season pass isn't too bad. I actually, um, for, for it only being like a regular season, like a normal, you know, season progression, I'm actually enjoying this one. Um. It's, it'll definitely be interesting to see if it actually holds my attention for a few weeks. Because um, that's the main issue I've had with the, the season pass style of Destiny. Is that I'll play it for a few days. And then it'll get to the point where I, I really just don't want to play it. Like I get burnt out extremely quickly. So we'll, hopefully this this will go. Go right. So. Yeah, I know one critique or complaint you've had about destiny for a while has been just like the lack of content Mm -hmm. with this you you mentioned that you like the battlegrounds you like a lot of the stuff do you feel like this replaces or makes up for that lack of content yeah it it will i i would say i'm still on the fence about it um it just depends on how much they actually introduce after the battlegrounds and, and how much grinding um it offers um i've worked on it a few hours today um i i don't think i've really even scratched the amount of surface that i wanted to scratch today um so it really just depends on if they can keep me motivated to wanting to continue to do the grind um which as i said i'm still on the fence ask me in a few weeks i'd be able to tell you for sure 
Gotcha. Um, what's the roadmap looking like for this? You said how or how long is this season supposed to run? Um, until May 11th, and they'll be introducing um, some new exotic quests uh, throughout the throughout the the season as well. Um, mm-hmm. And then each week, I feel like the story is going to have like a progressive thing element to it um, because one of the uh, one of the the main character that we're essentially fighting in this season um, is like essentially controls the Cabal army. Um, so it's the, the intro is really cool because it like, it was a video of like the, that character and Zavala, who's the commander of the, you know, the guardians uh, essentially declaring war on each other because the, the, the main bad guy, wanted wanted us to serve them and work with them um and essentially told him he needed to bow down to him and it, it was actually pretty badass on his part he's like no so it was a, it was a really cool cutscene. um but now we're essentially we're fighting them um as well as the other you know factions um in full force so yeah it's definitely a really cool story concept mm-hmm. uh, um I was actually impressed with it versus like last season. I didn't even touch. Yeah. So. Um. Well, that it, it seems like it's a good step in the right direction. Um, yeah, I definitely feel it's 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 definitely a step in the right direction as long as they can get this uh this hot fix for Steam players like out right away. Um, because I can see that being a, a really big issue if it's not taken care of like ASAP. Yeah. You know what, uh, where that's not a problem? Where? Google Stadia. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I bet it is. It's, it's the one time that Google Stadia <laughs> beats up PC. You know, you know, it could possibly be happening on Google Stadia, but just no one's playing Google Stadia to notice. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know. No one knows. Yeah. The two people that are playing are only play like once a month. <laughs> Excellent. Um, okay, let's. Uh, we're gonna kind of keep it tight here today. Um, I got my hands on some games from the ge- uh, Steam Games Festival, uh, which I'll kind of give some short mini reviews on real quick. Um, some of these I'm gonna kind of ex- I'm gonna play some of these demos again and expand out some thoughts and opinions on them. Um, the first one, and this isn't actually a part, at least it might, I didn't find this demo as a part of the Steam Games Festival. I just decided to play it uh, last night. It's called HROT. It's a fun boomer shooter styled uh, game, very similar to Doom, or it gave me a lot of GoldenEye vibes too. Like the uh, old N64 Golden vibe. Uh, Goldeneye. Uh, fun, very atmospheric. It's kind of set like post-Soviet era with um, or no, it's set in the Soviet area. Like your main melee weapon is a sickle. Um, and you know, you pick up shotguns and, and stuff and blow away what look like guys in gas masks. Um, it's interesting. I'm, I'm interested in seeing the uh, full game and what, what they have to offer. Um, the next one that I played that I liked the most was, or that this was actually part of the um, Steam Games Festival. Uh, <laughs> Nazis. By the way, if a, 
if a game wants to win my heart, it just has to let me kill Nazis and commies. <laughs> it's pretty easy. You want to win my heart games. It's it's a recipe for success. I mean, yeah. it's, it's pretty tried and true over the last, I don't know how many years, but quite a few, I'm sure. Well, everyone likes killing Nazis and commies. Right. We've been doing it since the 40s. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, and it's even better if it's like uh, Metro and it lets me do both. <laughs> um, but the next one uh, is called We Are the Plague. It's a tactics game that gave me a lot, a lot of Darkest Dungeon vibes. Um, even some of the illustrations in UI. But this is more of a um, top-down th- with 3D models where you control your characters on a board rather than a turn-based RPG like Darkest Dungeon. Have you ever played Darkest Dungeon? I have, yeah. Uh, haven't gotten super far into it because for whatever reason I'm not good, but I have and I really enjoy it. It's a game that's... Darkest Dungeon, I would love to try to play again. It's just a rage inducer. <laughs> I <laughs> I played once and on the first dungeon, I got the mini boss. Yep. Right, like two times in a row. I just fucking flipped my table. I'm just done. I'm done. <laughs> any any game, I I appreciate as a as a, a game master that we'll talk about soon. Uh, but any game that starts out with you need to accept that character loss is going to happen, mm-hmm. and you need to be okay with that if you're going to play this game. That's like the first menu on the main screen for yeah. the first time you fire it up. And as soon as I saw that. I just smiled inside and said, all right, I like where this is going. And then I have not gotten very far. Yeah. I die a lot. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, the next one that I played uh, from the sta- from the Steam Games Festival was Last Stand. It's a zombie survival roguelike. Very, very similar to State of Decay. Again, so State of Decay is, is a third person or like a isometric this is more again top down uh single is that the, the one that i didn't care for i'm not sure state of decay it was not like at first it was like super rough like each room was a different instance oh no that was um that was dead frontier oh yeah okay which sorry, sorry. no you're, you're good. good my bad no, it's good. Which I think it's been about a year since I've even touched Dead Frontier too, so I'll have to check that out and see how they how that I think that's like a one man do team. It. Don't do it. Hey, I played Dead Frontier one a ton in high school, so um okay, so yeah, the last dance zombie survival roguelike. The idea basically is like you play as a character who's already infected, um, but you're not dead yet and the you volunteer to go out into the wild to gather supplies for a settlement. So every character is different. They have different gear when they go out. Um, the basic loop of that is like you go out, you try to find the first thing you need to find is like fuel for your car because you apparently can't turn back or you have to make like a full loop around the city or something. And they only give you so much fuel to make it out to like one post. So you have to like keep going out and finding weapons and the currency in that is knowledge. So like scraps of paper and whatever else. And like a guy will trade you gear for knowledge. Um, seems pretty all right. I don't know if it's necessarily my thing, but it was done well. Um, 
this one. <laughs> and this is the one where, like, I would like to return to it at some point to see if they heed any of my, if they find this and somehow heed my advice. <laughs> it's called Stay Out of the House. This was not good. <laughs> it was a first-person horror game. It had this horrible, absolutely horrible vaporwave VHS texture over everything that made everything hard to read. It made the menus terrible. It made... Um, like you had to like read this note on the wall that was supposed to be a handwritten note and like I could barely read like this allegedly handwritten note it looked terrible um, bad textures it had hard to read text like even on the menus like I said it was hard to manage like the controls like the controls were kind of were really finicky and unclear um, objectives weren't clearly marked out it like wasn't like it wasn't I didn't want it to hold my hand, but I also didn't want myself to have to guess all the way through this fucking demo. Zombie Potion said it, it did get a jump scare out of me. <laughs> At the very end, it got me. I will admit, it got me. But the rest of the, the rest of it was just terrible. Um... I want to do like a full, like, I want to do like a full breakdown on this demo at some point and just be like, this is the, the shit that you need to fix, devs. Fix this before you do a full release, because, ah, <laughs> it was not good. Did you watch me play that at all, Green? I watched you play a good portion of it, um, and then, like, I, I got lost with the whole, the whole, like, handwritten note. Yeah, I got kind of raging. It started hurting my eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It started yeah. hurting my eyes. Um, there's like some other weird stuff, like the the models and textures got really weird with the filter. You, and I get like they're going for like this vaporwave stylistic thing. You don't need that much of it. Like a little, it, a dabble, do ya? <laughs> <laughs> it was not. It was not great. Um, yeah, I wasn't super happy with that. With that one. I was, oh, and then the uh, like. I know it's a demo. But like you couldn't, there was no like option to change the audio. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, which is a big thing for me, even for a demo. Like that should be an option. Yeah, you. Well, the demo should have the full gamut of menu settings, anyways. Exactly. Um, which I will say, the last stand. So the last stand, um, that zombie roguelike one. Uh, I actually recommend that you play with a controller, which I didn't have, so I was playing on mouse and keyboard and. Um, and it, uh, you know, there, there was some stuff there, but it had actually a full accessibility uh, set of options, oh, wow. which for like colorblindness and um, some other, like some other really cool accessibility. I'm like, wow, for a demo to have accessibility options, mm -hmm. which for, you know, uh, if anyone's interested in more about accessibility, can go check out our last, uh, our last episode with Brandon Cole or our previous episode with Brandon Cole. Um, I was pleasantly surprised and that was just kind of fresh in my mind and I saw that and like, hey, good on these devs um, for putting that in there. Um, but yeah, stay out of this house was not good. Was not a good experience. Uh, th that game needs some work and if the devs find this and see this, feel free to reach out. I can tell you guys more specifically what I didn't like. Um, yeah. That that was the Steam Games Festival. I'm sure we'll talk about it with Rev next week, see what demos and shorts he's played uh, recently, if anyone's interested in that. Tune in next week. Um, Green, did you play anything for the Steam Games Festival? I did not. 
I've been waiting for the sale more than the demos. Yeah, Lunar Sale starts today, I think, or tomorrow. Yes, I believe it was, you said the 9th, I believe. Yeah. Which, Lunar Sale is, you know, pretty nice. Um, just on a, on an off, on an off tangent, because, you know, Lunar, the Lunar New Year sale is also, you know, Chinese New Year. Uh, Steam China released recently, like in the last couple days. And it's got like 56 games on it. <laughs> Did you see that green? No, I have not seen it yeah. yet. Like, I haven't yeah. actually looked at it. Uh, China-specific Steam huh. uh, service. <laughs> I've, I've heard about it. I just actually haven't like looked at it. Yeah, it's got like, like a info on it. Yeah, 56 games. Mm-hmm. Oh. Let's get a hack for every single one of them. <laughs> yep. Access to North American servers so you can tank those pings. <laughs> it's all the war zone all the time. Yeah. Um, so with that, uh, I'll say that's probably the end of that conversation. Um, we'll take a quick break here and be back in two minutes and we'll discuss uh, homebrewing and D&D with Austin here in just a moment. Guys, stay right there. Are you a coffee lover? Do you need a little pep in your step in the morning? What about knowing where your coffee comes from? Is that important? Well, try Grampian Roast Coffee on Etsy. That's Grampian, G-R-A-M-P-I-A-N, and see our selection of single origin and blended coffees. Use code REVSVEN, R-E-V-S-V-E-N, at checkout to save 15% off of your purchase. All right, and we're back. Thank you guys for waiting with us. And, uh... Kind of our main event for the night, which is talking about homebrewing and Everd Saga here with Austin. Um, so I think I want to start out with just you kind of mentioned earlier about the campaign and um, starting this out with your friends. Tell us more about starting this campaign and this homebrew. Kind of like what was the what was the reasoning or the impetus for it? Uh. Well, my last year at UNI, when you and I were doing our, our radio program there, one of my friends was running a D&D game that my wife and I played in, and it was the first time in years that I'd played any tabletop role-playing game. Uh, tried it in high school and fell in love with it, and then was was smacked by that oh-so-wonderful 90s satanic panic where your parents think it's some dark black magic book you're trying to do uh, some sort of occult right with uh, and got told not to play it. And so, naturally, I did what every good high schooler does and continues to play it, just not from home. Uh, but I ended up not playing for a while, so when my friend invited me to play again, he offered to run a game for me and my wife and another friend and still two of my favorite D&D stories of all time happened in that campaign and I said I love coming up with this stuff I think I want to give it a shot and I talked with him and he sort of 
gave me a, a 101 crash course in how to be a game master uh, for specifically Dungeons and Dragons, but basically for any kind of game like this. And I just said, okay, I, I'm going to do it. And him and my wife have been playing in Evard since the very first session, um, which was five years ago, a little over five years ago, and we're still playing. Uh, and I, I decided I wanted to create a world because I didn't know the traditional canon worlds of Dungeons and Dragons very well. So I just kind of rolled a, a generated map until I found one I liked and it's just spiraled into insanity from there. <laughs> so uh, there's a question here from the chat that I'm going to answer quick. Uh, what is a tabletop role-playing game? And how would you explain it to an idiot, i.e. me, I'm the idiot, that's from Zombie Potion? Um, I would traditionally just define a tabletop role-playing game as uh, a game based on a series of rules usually found in a book and the entire game is conducted with usually dice but some sort of um, object of chance and um, and pen paper and a lot of math. How would you how would you describe it your, or define it yourself? Um, yeah, most of them work that way. There, I, there are a few I've heard of that don't use any dice at all. I'm not super familiar with those, um, but I the the concept is uh, it's a foreign concept this day and age where a bunch of people gather in one place and sit around a table in close proximity and share a bunch of food uh but you you play this game and i think the essence there is the role playing you you can be at a tabletop or not uh you can actually just be playing the game or not but it's it's an experience where you take on a different personality you you engage in some active escapism for a little bit um, and you have a character that you portray through action and word and that's pretty much it even if you never roll a dice just having some sort of greater thing that you do as a character or a collective group of characters that usually some other designated person facilitates the world or around you as you interact with it yeah and you mentioned like not necessarily needing dice um i've heard that dungeons and dragons is actually fairly popular in prison hmm. and you're not allowed to have dice in prison because they're it's a gambling you know thing you're not mm -hmm. allowed to have cards or dice or anything that can be used for gambling and so they do different things like i don't know specifically but they do different things in order to to make uh rolls essentially um, so you mentioned before, uh, a little bit ago, the, like, not wanting to use the canonical stuff, um, which for anyone who's not familiar with D&D, &D, there are different settings in, that are canon to D&D. &D. Mm -hmm. Um, there's the Forgotten Realms, which anyone who's seen, like, a D&D &D book is usually, like, a, you know, or the characters of, like, Drist or... Yeah. Um, you know, that's all in Forgotten Realms. And a lot of the modules that come out, mm -hmm. um, like uh, I, uh, The Maiden of Icewind Dale, which recently yep. came out, Rise of Tiamat, mm -hmm. that's all Forgotten Realms stuff. And then you have um, Eberron. Eberron. And there's also Dragonlance. Yep. And I think there's a few more. 
Yeah, and and these are all just pre-established to to not everybody is is crazy like I am and and enjoys the process of coming up with the details of an entire fictional world. Mm-hmm. And so these modules exist to take a lot of that effort away. So you you don't have to generate it. You have a book or notes or whatever that if you're the one running the game, you can just reference real quick and okay, that's that, that's that, and these are there uh, to to make it easy. But I I have a tendency to bite off an awful lot more than I can chew and enjoy the taste of it. So that's that's what I did as a first time game master. <laughs> Which, you know, I was just going to ask you, why did you decide to homebrew rather than to go with modules? But I think you kind of answered that. Do you, do you want to elaborate on any more of that, on why you decided you wanted to do homebrewing? Uh, some of it was, again, just not being super familiar with what was already established in existence. And I knew one or two of my players were more familiar than me, and I kind of had a little bit of a complex about messing it up. Uh, but but really, I enjoy creating that sort of stuff. Uh, when, I was, when I was a little kid, I would... If anybody even knows what an alpha smart is anymore, uh, I would take out... I would, take an alpha smart from school, which was basically just a, a wireless keyboard that had a tiny little display that would read like two lines of text. And it would save everything up above it like a like a typewriter, sort of. And I would just write stories of fake places and just talk about fake cities and stuff that I just had fun generating because I, I enjoyed Star Wars and Redwall and Lord of the Rings places that have all of these epic worlds that are dynamic and even outside of the story you kind of want to learn about them anyway and so I realized this was an opportunity for me to, to do that and I just decided we'll, we'll go with it uh, originally I had my map that it only had maybe eight cities on it and they were super far apart, and I knew nothing else about the world. And that's that's really all you need to get started, is traditionally, especially for a first-time game master, a lot of people say, well, your characters are low-level, just have them pick, like, put them in a town, and that's all you need, a town and the surrounding area. And they'll do kind of tasks and stuff, and because they're, they're still pretty weak. <laughs> they might die in the first fight they ever have. It's pretty common, especially if if you're certain types of characters. Uh, And you sort of scale up as the characters grow in influence and power, and I didn't do that. Uh, I created the whole world and then put them somewhere instead. (laughs) So so I, uh, I unknowingly, right off the bat, embraced the chaos of tabletop role-playing games. Yeah. And there is, I mean, as someone who's homebrewed before, I've done different adventures, I've tried to create my own world, there's a lot of chaos. It's it's one of my favorite parts of the game. Yeah. So this is kind of more of a granular question about playing. Uh, But how are you guys playing? Are you guys playing theater of the mind? Are you using physical game pieces and boards? Are you just doing a pen and paper? Are you doing digital? How are you guys playing your games? Yes. there's so many different ways to play uh, for those who have never played this kind of game. Uh, for my folks, what really works is we do uh, Roll20.com is a free tabletop simulator website. Uh, you can make maps with free assets or paid assets, uh, and they 
have uploaded all like the the rules and mechanics for all sorts of game systems, whether it's Pathfinder, the various editions of Dungeons and Dragons, and a bunch of other game games that I don't know. Uh, but they have. Uh, they have character sheets and references for all that stuff there in that website and you can log in and play for free you can roll virtual dice um, so you can make your maps there for combat or for everything um, and I usually use it mostly for important scenes or combat but most of the time outside of those instances I usually just play theater of the mind or we actually do a lot of text based Play in my groups uh, just on Facebook Messenger it's really nice since since I figured out or at least had the inkling like a year or two ago that I might maybe want to try and actually like write about all this stuff it'd be nice to have a text record to go back to uh, and that's actually worked out really really well and it's a nice way to deal with the scheduling of D&D, which is a, a big problem with tabletop games in general, is finding consistent times to play. And it allows you to sort of eke through story progression and events without having to be in a formal session, is sort of play through a messaging system. So that's what we like to do. I have never done one through text. I've heard of people doing that. I have never done that. That's I might I might pick your brain on that a little bit more here later because that's that's something I have never thought about doing. Um, and I guys I do know that we have some questions in the chat which we'll get to here in just a minute. Uh, and Elliot I do agree I feel like levels one through five uh, one through three are survival horror survival games. <laughs> yeah, it's it's rough. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you kind of mentioned when you first started homebrewing making your map. Mm -hmm. um, when you were homebrewing your D&D setting, or just your RPG setting, I should say, um, what are some of the first things you suggest someone do? Do you suggest going right for the map? Do you think that they should just start, like, writing down all their ideas? What do you... How are you... How do you go about it? So for... I, I think it depends on the person, because what... Being a game master can be can be frustrating for one person in some aspects that are enjoyable to another. Uh, I love world building and character developing. Some people prefer to just run heavily combat-based stuff. So I think figuring out what about running this game you're excited about is and running with that first. It might just be a, a super cool character idea, and that's all you have to go on. And then you kind of break down, all right, well, this character idea, why are they cool in this way that I like? What got them there? Okay, so they must be from a place where this was allowed to happen, and sort of just break it down backwards like that. Or if it is, it, it can just be a map. Sometimes that's all you need is to just randomly roll a, a map online. There's so many map generators on the internet if you just Google them that you can easily find something. And in my experience, if you're doing that, when you find a map you like, it just clicks right away. And it's that's the one I want to go with. And even if you don't know exactly what you like about it, you can start sort of sussing through it from there and developing the details that stand out most. Like, oh hey, this is where a river meets a lake on this map, there's probably a town there because historically that's where people would build a town because trade and fresh water and fish. And then just sort of bouncing around from the things that come easiest to you and developing a net, I think, 
is pretty important because no place is truly isolated. So if you have one place or a group of people or a single character, the things they do, the way they view the world that you create for them, it's all interconnected to other stuff. And really sort of trying to develop those webs that connect everything, to me, is one of the most fun parts. But that's, I don't know, kind of jumping past the scale of your question. That's not really an intro thing to do, but uh, it, it all depends on what you like. And find out what that is, and you can start from there and build the rest as you go. Yeah. Uh, Green, I'm going to toss it over to you for a second. Is there anything so far that you want to ask, mention, give your opinion on? No, I, I don't have any questions. It's, uh, I'm just trying to take it all in and like uh, yeah, get all the information because I've, I've always been interested in D&D. Um, never actually played it until uh, you. Uh, you, you. You lulled me into it. So, um, but yeah, no, I don't have any questions. It's just uh, it's a lot of information. It's yeah. Super interesting. Yeah, so... Kind of going off the some of that, you know, we, we kind of get past that starter point, right? Mm-hmm. We've we've kind of came up with our idea or our setting, um, the story that we want to t- tell. Um, how do you go about keeping things straight or making sure, like, not maybe straight's not the right word, uh, not the right word, but um, let me let me ask you this with the. Um, kind of like a, a jumping off point. Do you like keep a world Bible? Do you keep like this list of just this is what this character's history is. This is this place. This are the things that happened here. Uh, this is how they feel about these kind of things. You know, do you like write all that down like in a Bible kind of thing? Uh, for some things, yes. Uh, to do that for every single character that ever has a name is even for me daunting uh but really finding out the if it's if you know this character is going to be not not so important figure out all right what are their immediate wants their immediate needs uh maybe one immediate fear if they're going to actually be speaking with characters and that's usually enough and give them a name and they just do their three lines of dialogue and then go away uh those i usually don't record unless they end up recurring for whatever reason because the party dictates what is important most of the time uh regardless of whether you're doing a sandbox sort of campaign or a railroad campaign um the party lets you know what they care about and all of that stuff is what's important to keep track of. And I started with a few notebooks here and there that were uh, that were scattered and complete nonsensical and I could never find my notes. And so I actually found a website uh, at the beginning of last year that I really, really love called World Anvil. And it is all about world building. And it allows you to create basically a wiki or a, a database of anything you want to put into it about your world, whether that's for uh, for tabletop games, for writing, just for the fun of world building, if that's a hobby you enjoy with no other context. Uh, and they've been upgrading it consistently ever since, and it's fantastic. And I have been working on putting all of my information that I have, both old and as it comes up in current play, into this this wiki database through World Anvil. And it, it sort of doubles as my writing exercise, because I want to write a book series about all of this. Uh, it, the name Evard Saga comes from... It, 
uh, Nordic literature history where a saga is a story of people or events that are heroic and legendary in, in scale. And the, the way these things were named was just whatever the story is about, saga. So Ivard saga, Ivard is the world we play in. So that's the story that I intend to tell. But my sort of warm-up exercise to craft my writing style is to put all that stuff you were asking about in one place. And it's mostly publicly available. Gotcha. Now, just kind of as a, as a quick tangent, because I've seen, I've seen uh, World Anvil um, uh, advertised with a lot of uh, the YouTube channels in the in the hobby, uh, WebDM. I know I've seen it there. Uh, Nerdarchy, I think I've seen it there. Uh, a few other people in in the in the TTRG tabletop RPG um, hobby. Is this a tool? I mean, are you? Are there other tools similar to it? And do you feel like this is like the best one out of them, or is it really the only tool that's like it? Uh, it's the only one I've found that operates on the scale that it does. Um, I mean, within even like Roll20 or any sort of virtual tabletop program, whether it's a browser-based one or something like Fantasy Grounds that's just a program you purchase on Steam, um, there are components for taking notes and tracking stuff, but they're not, they're very basic. It's mostly just a big notes entry space, and that's about all there is. But World Anvil I like because you can link other articles to stuff. So lately I've been writing about a, a group of indigenous tribes to a certain part of the world. And if I want to mention one of the other tribes and how they interact with each other, I can link the article to the other tribe. So if you don't know that name, if you, if I'm talking about the tribe of Narian horsemen and you don't know who that is, you just mouse over it or click on it and it will open up in a separate window the article about the Narian horsemen so that if you want to do that next to get context, you can or you can wait. Uh, and it's, it's so interwoven with all the different features that you have available for world building and displaying your information. Uh, I, I absolutely love this program, if you could not tell. Uh, and it's, it's definitely not for a casual world builder. I, it can be. I started out just casually. But to really get the most out of it, it, it does take work and effort, but it's, it's super helpful. And it really adds a lot of organization for people like me who are inherently not organized. Yeah. So uh, a question here that I wanted to ask um, with your, and this is uh, thank you to Elliot argues and shout out to Elliot. He also, I forgot to mention this uh, last week, but he has a new podcast out called I just finished and um, just with Elliot, yes, that is an innuendo. Um, but uh, it's a it's a podcast about him, like doing movie, like finishing movies and books and giving reviews on them. Um, kind of movie and book. Um, I'm assuming not just adult, but it's Elliot, so you guys can ask him. Yeah. Um. I yeah, uh, how much. How much homebrew? Uh, okay, whoops. Like, when you homebrew, 
how far do you plan? Do you plan just like weekly for the campaign or for the sh for whatever session it is? Um, things like, do you know who the big bad is going to be? The overall direction you would like to see the players head down? Or do you really just kind of let it flow? <laughs> All right. Uh, I want to share a story with you that's, that's no spoilers from this because it happens very early on. But trying... Trying to predict or guide your players to do anything in particular, whether it's Dungeons and Dragons, any of these kinds of games, especially when they are experienced players, you're never going to get them to do what you want them to do. Uh, for example, my my first initial group of players, we played for only a couple months, uh, and the group just kind of fell apart, scheduling issues, and and a few people moved away, and whatever. And we sort of reformed, and we found a way with the story to to still really smoothly transition from one to the other. And so a, a whole new group of people was meeting for the very first time. And in a lot of games, at least fantasy setting games, that happens in a tavern or a bar of some kind. And so in this instance, it did. And this bar was in the middle of more or less nowhere in a, in a wilderness, but it was on a road intersection. So it's a trading port where you can interact with people. And the person who owned the bar was supposed to be somebody who helped the characters grow and do some local quests, get some decent money, and go into the wider world more prepared. Uh, what ended up happening was an argument between that character and my wife's character that resulted in a fist fight. Uh, and he got thrown out of his own bar. His wife was knocked out and uh, it randomly determined acquired amnesia that specifically made her forget her husband exists. So she still works at that bar even though he's gone. But they he fled after he got kicked out. And the people in the bar, which were pretty much all the players, just kind of looked around and went, well... Is this ours now? Can we get our own drinks? And that guy came back with a, a couple strong arms to try and be like, hey, they, they stole my bar. Like, there's no law here, but you want to be the law and get my bar back? And they smooth-talked their way out of it and left them thinking that this guy had sold the bar and was just trying to, to take back a lawful purchase. So they, they shanghaied a bar on this entire new group of people's session one when that guy was supposed to be a very helpful person with a lot of character growth that they could facilitate if they interacted with him. They're never going to do what you plan for them to do. So I've found don't plan for them to do anything super specific. Uh, I don't plan a lot of stuff specifically meant to be guiding for the players. I plan things that are adjacent to their trajectory, some of them might be events in a place or around a place where they are or are headed or big world events that happen that may or may not affect them directly but they hear about it and it might provide options for stuff later on that are fun uh those i usually think of when i'm driving or not actually doing anything related to D D, and they're usually some of my best ideas and they just kind of happen when they will and I write them down or tell them to one of my friends who doesn't play in my group, who's my sounding board. And really, as long as you understand what they intend to do in the immediate future, that's most of the prep I do in advance is plan for the next session. And that's about it. Maybe one or two sessions ahead, but they can easily 
take over a new bar somewhere along the way and if you planned some really intricate stuff four or five sessions out it might all be in vain you could have spent eight hours of work prepping it all and it's not relevant anymore yeah i found when it comes to doing anything other than like a one shot planning anything out further than like one session Mm -hmm. is kind of Nolan Void, which a one shot is just one session. Yeah. Um, so yeah, planning anything further out, like I, I typically always have like some sort of idea of the things that I, of like the, how do I want to describe this? Like I usually have some sort of idea of like stat blocks and like the abilities I want certain like characters. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about like the big bad and stuff like that, and so like trying to like fit a big bad into a story always feels a little weird i've been able to do it before but yeah i i think the the thing with trying to plan a good big bad evil guy or gal is not i mean understand their character and their motivations yes but but trying to understand what happens around them both by their design or simply by their existence that shapes the world while the characters are building up to confronting them. Um, like, right now, it, the the big bad guy is, is well-known in Ivard Saga, very early on, at least by name and his motivations. Uh, he is an, a former slave who created an army to try and get revenge and wants to enslave as much of the world as possible for the way he and his people have been treated historically as he sees it and so he's he's pretty straightforward but the things he does that shape the world are what really give him the scale of a big bad evil guy uh man i really want to tell some stories but they're all spoilers uh and i i realize it's quite a ways away but uh I try and preserve the integrity because some of it is my players will probably listen and they're a lot more in tune with the fine things I might give away right now. Um, but there, I, I feel like there's also this concept that you need one big bad evil guy. There's never just one big bad evil guy. Not even if you're counting like their henchmen and lackeys. There's, especially if you go to the trouble of creating a series of cities or kingdoms, even if it's not a whole world, there's going to, there's got to be more than one, whether they get along with each other or they conflict with each other and people get caught in the crossfire. There's, there's never just one person with one agenda. And I think that's something that really helps give a dynamic homebrew world is figuring out those conflicts that aren't just the party's actions. Yeah. Which I can kind of speak to that, like with, with TV right now, I've been watching uh, Netflix's Peaky Blinders. Yes, yeah. Which I think is a great example of like, there's never just one bad guy yes. in that show. It's like you have you have um, Tommy and his family. Which, for those who don't know, Peaky Blinders is a crime show set in uh, Birmingham, 1919, and later. Mm-hmm. And you know you have you have these rival gangsters of all sorts. And um, you have like these cops, and all. I mean, as the seasons go on, I mean, they just kind of increase, and there's increasing dynamics, and the stakes get higher, and like there's always like a changing dynamic in terms of like the bad guy, but it's never just like the one bad guy. Yeah. 
And uh, one thing that I, I really like to show in my game, because in D&D in there's so much around, you know, combat and going on quests and slaying the monster, getting, getting the magic item, and, you know, becoming famous. But all that stuff pretty much always comes at a cost that... Uh, I like to make my players feel, even if it takes a really long time to do so. Like, they may have killed a monster, but that monster may have... Un that monster's absence may have unloosed something worse, or uh, they may have conquered a city, but there are a lot of lives that could have been spared if they had not decided to throw a literal coup. And... So at, at what point does trying to be heroic and legendary make you stray away from being a good guy? And at what point does the bad guy start to make a little more sense? Because their actions are not always too different from that of the good guys. And I really like playing with that in my developing tensions in this story. Yeah. Um, in, there's a there's a bit of knowing like your players. Mm -hmm. um, Green can attest to this, where I knew how one of my players was going to behave, and so I sort of punished him for it. Um, it was, this was a, Hall a Halloween special that we did two years ago, where uh, I knew that um, Urban Decay, my my friend Urban Decay, he likes combat, he likes killing. It was a zombie survival thing and I basically made it so all of the every time they killed a zombie it was going to it was going to get absorbed and increase the HP and the power of the final boss that's fantastic <laughs> um, <laughs> and that that kind of, that kind of topic here um, that kind of rolls into the next conversation um, that I had here and kind of into a question that we had in the chat too uh, so I'll kind of go with my first part of this or yeah, I kind of go to my first part of this, which is uh, how flexible are you with your homebrew? Are you are you very protective of it? Like these are the rules, this is the setting, um, and how often do you let things change based on what the players and characters do and say? For things that have already been established in through the experience of the campaign, uh, I treat that as as pretty set in stone. Um, like a, oh, I can't think of a good example. But but basically, if it's something that's been encountered before or addressed before, like where a, a certain group of people live or the name of a business, uh, that I I try to keep preserved because it's been thoroughly established. If if people don't really remember or care, it might get tweaked. If it hasn't been put on the map before, or. Uh, at least encountered by one of the groups that plays in Evard, I'm pretty usually pretty open to change it to, to suit something that either makes more sense, makes the game more enjoyable, or that makes whatever that object is more believable for the world. Uh, there's there are some places where I, I definitely put my foot down, um, especially with characters wanting to to try something new or different, or have a character with a background that doesn't make sense, then I'll, I'll be like, okay, as you want it, no. But that doesn't mean we can't do it. We might just need to do it from a different angle. Um, and it's... So you... Yeah, I, I could circle around that and reiterate that answer a million different ways, but that's, that's basically it. Um, it depends. 
Yeah. In terms of like the character stuff, I know this is like a, a sticking point for some people um, in like homebrewing. Uh, like they won't allow certain races. Mm-hmm. Um, like there are some people they like they just don't allow half orcs mm-hmm. or they don't allow half elves. Like they, to them, that doesn't make sense. Why are the you know, mm-hmm. you know why are there these characters like they don't like they don't make sense in my world? Why you know in they maybe humans and elves can't inter you know interbreed or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and that is always kind of like a line to toe um, with Evert Saga. Um, kind of describe some of the that nitty gritty stuff with um, like how you decide what's allowed, what's not allowed. Um, well, if it's not something that's been, that, that came up organically within the the playing aspect of Evard, uh, it basically is, is it a concept that I like and think has a place? And as, as far as uh, like the, the species and creatures that exist, most of them that are official to D and D, um, I am open to, if not already including, within the world. Uh, there are some that I don't understand well enough, or I don't think they have a super great fit. But most of them do exist somewhere. Whether or not they've been seen by anybody who plays is a different matter. Um, but uh, I have a, a firm belief as far as the the playing the game goes that if you want to play a certain type of character as far as a class or a, a, a species or race um, I I have a hard time saying no because that just doesn't work for me um, the, all in all the game's supposed to be fun and even though I love the story and I want to to share this story with so many people ultimately what what matters most to me is my players having the experience they come to expect and enjoy. And so if somebody makes a new character and they say, hey, uh, I haven't seen a Yuan-Ti pureblood in your world. Can I play a Yuan-Ti pureblood? I'm going to say, "I let's talk about that. But right now, I don't know if they exist. Let's see if they can. Um, and... I think really being flexible, but not necessarily completely open to, to certain things and, and changes is, is really important because you can't just say yes to everything. And if you say no to everything, people just aren't going to have fun. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think one of those things, uh, I, if I could read or uh, uh, elaborate on that, kind of my own personal experience, my own viewpoint, is D&D is interactive storytelling mm-hmm. and or tabletop role playing in general is like interactive storytelling and there's a bit of push and pull that has to go there and players have to recognize that the DM the game master is also getting a lot of enjoyment in creating this experience mm-hmm. and so you had kind of you should respect that in terms of of course if they're if your GM is being a tyrant and just being a dick and be like you know, no, you can't play a human rogue because I just don't want to see a human rogue. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of tyrannical nonsense. But also, you know, the you know, a tabaxi is kind of a weird thing to, or a kenku is kind of a weird character mm-hmm. to try to fit into this. And you know, it's it maybe not be the best fit for this particular campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if I may, mm-hmm. uh, before I forget this thought, if, if you're playing in a homebrew world or you are running a homebrew world, um, specifically for players, 
if this is a new homebrew setting that you're about to start in, understand that the your your GM has a lot to figure out, and you you need to be open and respectful of the fact that they're gonna have to say no to some stuff, even if even if you're really excited about it. Uh, that doesn't mean they should say no to most things, uh, and that that's mirrored the same side of that co- or the flip side of that same coin is DMs. It it's worth going out of your way to help somebody do something they want to do at least at the start of a new game, because it it really is going to make your game so much more fun if people at least get to start out on the two feet or four feet depending on their character uh, that they want to start out on. Yeah. Uh, Green, I'll toss it back to you here. Anything you want to add? Questions? Opinions? You've just been quiet for a while, and I didn't want to leave you out. No, I've, I've, I've just been listening, like, deep listening. So, it's, it's as I said, it's all interesting. Um, definitely something that, as, as a very fresh person, like, it, 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 it's a lot, a lot to take in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I like the whole aspect of like world creation and stuff like that. I've always wanted to like actually like uh, you know write. I've always been a fan of like you know fantasies and stuff like that. So it's it's, it's very interesting to take in. Yeah. Um, so here's a question that I was going to get to in the uh, chat. Um, this is again from Zombie Potion. Uh, how do you handle extremely chaotic players? <laughs> Zombie Potion, I saw this, and I, I'm excited by this question. Thank you for this. It's a, it's a good one, and it's it's a problem any game master has had to deal with. Uh, I think, based on your wording, it's important to note, a chaotic player is not necessarily a problem player. They're, they're two, they can often be the same thing, but they're not. Uh, a problem player is a whole other conversation, and basically it depends. But chaotic players are some of my favorites, as long as they are uh, respectfully chaotic. Um, because I, I embrace the chaos of this sort of, of hobby. I think it makes for fantastic storytelling, or at least the potential for fantastic storytelling. And if people want to do some completely bizarre off-the-wall things that still like make sense, I I usually am willing to accommodate, but the way I deal with it, and my players all know this well by now from me in my style of running a game, is you can be chaotic within most reason or even without reason, but there are going to be consequences. And if, if these consequences, I will do my best to make sure they fit the chaos you create and are absolutely believable, and you may not like it. But it's it's sort of a if if you want to go out and do these drastic things, drastic things will happen because of it, and you will have to reap what you sow. And I'm not going to try and ruin your game experience in vengeance. I I'm not a I try not to be a vengeful game master, but I I will make you understand that you can't just be a murder hobo, and and expect to get away with it. Uh, but but chaotic players do stuff like Shanghai a bar, or, or take down an entire squadron of city guards atop a wall, point a sword at the last one, being a an absolutely drop-dead gorgeous elven woman in a blood-soaked performing gown, s- points a sword at this guy and says, if you drop your weapon and be mine, I will make, I will spare your life. Uh, 
To which that guy's response was, you mean like marriage? Because I've been married before and I don't want to go through that shit again. <laughs> uh, and but, but chaotic stuff like that, you, you can't predict. And it really gives the game life if you are okay figuring out how to roll with it because it's it's not something that's easy at first. Um, but I think it, the thing with chaos in any form is it, it has repercussions always. Uh, you, you drop a pebble into the water, there's ripples. And whenever a chaotic player wants to do something within within the bounds, or a player within the bounds of their character, I usually allow it and there, there will be ripples. You will find them whether or not you like them. Uh, sometimes they're not bad ripples. They don't have to be. Um, but if it's something that's completely outlandish for your character, I, I will message you privately and say, I need to know in what way this person justifies doing it. Like, my wife's initial character in this so long ago didn't kill people. Uh, she did not carry a lethal weapon. She had a wooden sword and cuffs made of vines so that when somebody went down in a fight, she would tie them up and administer first aid. So if she just decided to randomly go slit some dude's throat because he cheated at cards, I'm going to say, I need to know why, because this is not right. Um, so it's, it really is knowing your players and <laughs> embracing the chaos a little bit and, and finding the fun. Yeah. And D&D &D does have a built-in mechanic for rewarding characters or players for um, justifying their actions mm -hmm. and becoming inventive, and that's the inspiration system, which I I struggle to remember about. Everyone forgets about inspiration. Yeah. Um. But oh man, I'm trying to think if there's any other questions. Oh, I guess I should ask. Um, just some other stuff about tools. You mentioned Roll20. You mm -hmm. mentioned um, World Anvil. Uh, do you use things like Inkscape or like any battle map um, designer design tools, anything like that that you find um, really helpful? Not usually for uh, battle maps because Roll20 is more than sufficient for me most of the time. If I do go outside of it, there's a really cheap program. Uh, at least I got it cheap on Steam a few years ago. Uh, I believe it's called Painter's Workshop or something like that. Uh, it works very nice and translate. It, you can export directly in a format that is suitable to Roll20 or a couple other virtual games uh, or virtual tabletops. Um, I use a few uh, different map generators for de depending on the kind of map I need. Uh, if it's like a city map, there's one I like. I don't remember the, the name of it, but I'll, I'll comment on the YouTube video when this comes up with that link because it's, it's really a good one, and it's not just a generator. You can adjust it, and I love that. Um, but I, for the most part, that's what I consistently use except for like artwork. I found a few programs that I like for doing uh, character portraits and general like landscape art that I really like and that's only been recent and that's not so much for the game but more for my production of Evard Saga as as a, a literary project awesome um yeah I'm looking at our time here and I'm looking at I don't think I have any other questions I'm gonna toss it back to green again any thoughts opinions questions no, it just sounds uh, sounds really cool. When do you think you're going to be done with the book? <laughs> the first book, I should say. Well, 
Let's get a rough timetable for that? Mm, not really. Um, so the my first emphasis is wanting to get this wiki that I mentioned earlier more filled out than it is. Um, and right now there are, I believe, for like cities, villages, settlements uh, of any size, there are, I believe, 91 on my map and each of them will have a corresponding information page. That's not to mention characters, the nations they belong to, uh, the general territories of the world, uh, information on unique species to this world that are not inherent to other game systems. There, there's a lot to put in, and it will probably never fully be done unless I just decide I'm going to stop. But I at least want to get the, the base stuff for uh, the the world and its common things for people who just want to explore a fictional place before I really start knocking out the book. But I, I am sort of ticking away at the, the prose in the book itself. Um, in late December, I, I have a Patreon for Evard Saga um, that is just Evard Saga, if, if anybody's interested at that. Uh, but that's a different question but i do have available as a, a patron exclusive the first draft of my prologue uh, i actually recorded me reading it as sort of an exclusive little tidbit for those who are involved in that community so i am slowly chipping away at that uh, but that's that's in addition to working on the wiki planning D&D sessions, playing D&D, so, and, and it's just me, and doing YouTube videos once a week. Um, so it, it's all... It, it's an awful lot for a one-man show, but man, I love spinning all these plates. And I intend... I'm probably going to release at least the first sections serially in that old, good old literary fashion. Um, but yeah, I'm hoping at the end of this year to be focused really heavily on writing the book. Anything else on that green? Any other th follow-ups, thoughts? No, no. I'm, I'm just excited to see where it takes you. Thank you. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> so, uh, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned this because I was just going to ask you about it. You do have Patreon. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us a bit about your Patreon, some of the perks and tiers and stuff like that, uh, if people are interested in checking out your stuff. Yeah, sure. Um, so, just patreon.com slash evardsaga. And if you're not familiar with Patreon, I... I wasn't before I considered using it really. Uh, it's a paid membership service where you can have different tiers of involvement with creative endeavors. And it's you just pay monthly, but it's not something where you, you're just donating. You get stuff in return from anybody you support on Patreon. And for me, I have, uh, I think, six or seven different tiers of involvement, but all of them have a if nothing else, exclusive access to all of the articles in my wiki, except the ones that contain major spoilers for plot events. Um, otherwise, they change going up. I, I have a Discord server. I'm not super familiar with Discord at this point, uh, but we do have a Discord server that has a few public channels, but patrons have access to some private channels and that increases with higher uh, tiers of membership but as they go up uh, you can suggest content for evard um, 
So say you have a really cool bar that you like that maybe you homebrewed yourself and you want to, I don't know, memorialize it in Evard, or you just think it's a cool idea or a, uh, a character that might be in the background of said bar. You can propose that at certain levels of membership and then the a broader community votes every month and whichever one is voted in, I coordinate with you and your stuff actually will become part of Evard, uh, assuming I have your permission to put it in a published product later on. Um, and with that, there's also access to not just Evard related stuff. Uh, some of my higher tiers, if you like world building or if you want to run a campaign yourself for the first time, uh, I will dedicate a, a pretty good chunk of time to brainstorm with you and help you build your world. We can never mention Evard or any of its stuff or uh, running your game. Um, the, my highest tier, if there's something you want in the world, you can once a month skip the voting process and just say, this is there now. And as long as it doesn't conflict, it, it's there. Um, as well as uh, the ability to do some of that text-based role-playing with me, you can explore, uh, even if you just want me to describe a, a journey in great detail, or you can be yourself or create a just a, a casual character and I will give you the same amount of detail and attention that I do with my players when we do our tech sessions as you just interact with the world around you and uh, I will include links to the YouTube channel and the uh, patreon down below in the um, in the episode description um, was there anything else because we're kind of wrapping up the show here was there anything else that you wanted to plug um, promote or, or let people know about that you do uh, and where people can find it yes uh, so if you they're, they're kind of organized for most of the sort of discussion of Evard and adjacent things that's what the YouTube channel will be a lot about uh, and if you don't feel like reading too much I mean it's a writing project, so uh, the YouTube channel will be for that. Uh, Patreon is for exclusive stuff, but there's still a lot of attention given to you, the public, because Patreon isn't feasible for everybody, and I don't want anyone to, with interest to, to lose out or feel excluded. And for that, it's all just on Facebook. Uh, just facebook.com, search Evard Saga. Or if you want to actually read the database and the wiki uh, that has my maps and all sorts of other stuff, just evardsaga.com. Um, and the I will put out there, there, there are some harsh themes in this uh, that, that may not be super easy to, to just kind of vibe with for people. Like there's there's some brutal practices of slavery and crime uh, that that really help build the tension that the story's around. Uh, but there's there's also... Uh, I, I try to be inclusive with this world as well. Uh, I, I was smiling listening earlier today to the most recent episode you mentioned about accessibility because uh, it just made me think I, I have a, a lot of different uh, of people represented both uh, ethnically and... Um, 
ability or disability. Uh, there's a lot of LGBTQ variety displayed in this world because it's in, in the end, I want this to be something that people enjoy and fantasy and tabletop tends to be something where people want to escape the real world. And there's an awful lot of darkness that exists in the real world and in Ivar too, but I try and make them not the same thing. Um, and the, so there might be stuff that's a little hard sometimes. I try not to make too much of that publicly accessible. Uh, but it's it's there for a reason, and usually that reason is for uh, confronting or reckoning hard things. Yeah, and I'm going to kind of hijack, you know, you're mentioning the accessibility and stuff like that. And that's something that the tabletop community has been kind of struggling with a little bit. There's a lot of... What's the right word to describe? Just discontent with a recent addition to D&D. There were a lot of people who were not happy with the way that Wizards of the Coast, you know, had kind of, in their words, mangled, you know, like mm-hmm. the, the the species or race, uh, race stuff and uh, whatever else. And kind of to those people who are upset about that, what I'm going to say now, um, take whatever you learned here and make your own. <laughs> um, that's the wonderful thing about D&D is that it's just a set of rules. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what Wizards of the Coast puts out. Mm-hmm. You can make your own and you can enjoy it however you want and with the people that you want. You don't have to, If you don't like something Wizards of, the, Wizards of the Coast has done in the Forgotten Realms or Eberron or something, you don't have to play that. Yep. You, you can shift and adjust whatever you want or need your game to be. Uh, The rules are there as a guideline. Uh, I I do want to make one thing clear because mentioning Wizards of the Coast by their name is sort of a, I'm looking over my shoulder, because they they get kind of picky about who says D&D and does does stuff and things that make money uh, around them. But they they have this wonderful thing called the Open Gaming License. Uh, That's not just theirs, but... uh, Evard Saga will not teach you how to play D&D. I would like to make that very clear. This is prose. This is narrative. This is not mechanics. Uh, so if you understand how 4th f- edition and 5th edition D&D mechanics work, there's stuff that you will recognize and understand and be like, oh yeah, hey, that's what that is. But if you want to learn D&D, you'll have to talk about that with me outside of outside of my stories because they will not tell you how to play. Um yeah, just wanted to make that clear in case anybody from Wizards of the Coast happens to pop in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this is something that, you know, you can use for any edition of D&D probably. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not first edition, but <laughs> <laughs> first edition is very limited. Um, but, I mean, if you wanted to use pathfinder when you're yep. when you're using evert saga stuff um or challenger uh which is an open source one that uh you guys can find for free any of that stuff would would fit any system evert saga is is system agnostic for yes it is uh really the only thing about it is uh some of the the creatures that exist uh are some of them, I believe, are specific to Dungeons and Dragons and Wizards of the Coast, uh, but really, you can—you don't have to include them. They can be sort of uh, tucked in a, a little forest somewhere that nobody ever goes. Um, but that is a, a fair point. Thank you for for making me think of that. Uh, eventually, I would like to be able to make Evard as a world uh, a 
published setting outside of the saga uh, and and just be able to, to provide the information of the world for people to play in so that it's kind of a module or at least a, a structured setting that has no super great storyline unless you want to embrace the history that's that comes up in my world yeah yeah um so guys check out the facebook page check out the patreon check on the youtube um no twitter right <laughs> uh so far no i've been pretty morally opposed to twitter for most of my life if i ever do it's probably going to be for whimsical stuff like posting tweets as various other characters uh like del meliama the child priest who plays pranks on literally everyone he's he's a fun character yeah he would love twitter <laughs> so uh green what's coming up on your channel I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye out on Destiny 2. Um, Apex is definitely a must for me this week as well. Um, hopefully, we're, we're, I'm just going to take it you know, one day at a time um, and see what day, each day brings me. Other than that, um, you can catch me on twitch.tv forward slash Mr. Green Elite. Um, I'm also on Facebook and Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook, OnlyFans, all the fancy things, all at Mr. Green Elite. So, yeah. Excellent. Uh, coming up on my channel, um, probably be playing some Fallout 4 this week. Uh, again, I gotta finish that. I know I've been saying it um, for a while. Um, so yeah, probably I'm gonna I, I'm just gonna try to finish Fallout 4 this week. Uh, probably play some Minecraft. Um, I played episode two of not for broadcast last week and i'm going to go on ahead and upload that to youtube upload that playthrough i did uh what i called a bootlickers run where i just um where i just made the political party love me and um i also want to give a shout out to not games for hosting me during that uh, stream that was incredible of them and i appreciate that a lot uh, otherwise you guys can find me on twitter and on instagram at danny k d-a-n-i-e-c-a-e and of course you guys can find me on youtube at danny k media where this podcast will be uploaded to as well um speaking on behalf of rev real quick guys go find rev on his channel twitch.tv slash revsven and check him out on twitter at revsven tv as well as instagram also his tiktok and he's also been doing a lot of stuff on youtube so go find his youtube channel all that stuff you guys can find i'm sure on his twitch channel um other than that i don't think we have much else to add anything you want to add um I mean, I, I, I'm i like you. I could go off on so many tangents that have nothing to do with anything. So thank you very much for having me. Uh, if, if I know a, a few of you in the chat might have been folks that I brought here. Uh, you might not be familiar with this podcast. Check out a lot of the, the previous stuff these guys have done because it's, it's really great. Um, a lot of good reviews of games, a lot of news, um, and just a lot of good content yeah I, i've really been a fan of this program so it's really special for me to be on thanks well of course and i and i appreciate you coming by and hanging out it feels like we're back in that uh, cramped little studio back in college um <laughs> it was a pleasure having you yeah, yeah thank you green a lot of knowledge a lot of knowledge 
Uh, so that's going to wrap up the show for the week, guys. We appreciate all of you for joining and uh, listening. It means a lot to us that you guys take the time every week. Um, and if this is your guys' first time, hopefully we uh, brought you guys a lot of value. Uh, don't forget the question of the week this week, which is, what is one place that you haven't been that you would love to go to? Uh, answer that in the YouTube comments down below. Let us know in the chat, or you guys can even tweet at us. My at my handle is uh, at Danny K, like I mentioned earlier. If you guys missed any part of the show, you can watch us uh, and listen on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are found. If you guys want to help support the show, you guys can like, subscribe, and leave a comment. But the best way, number number one, tier to top tier way to help support the show is by telling your friends. It does mean a lot to us. Uh, I want to say real quick, last week's episode did fantastically for, I don't know if you guys told your friends or if we just struck gold with some of our topics, but it did very, very well. And we appreciate you guys for helping us hit that. You guys helped us actually hit a really good goal. Um, Love you. We do. We absolutely love you and we do it for you guys. So if you guys are getting value out of it, please do tell your friends. Um, Other than that, guys, stay safe. Stay warm if you live in anywhere where there's ice and snow. Stay warm. It's fucking cold out. Temperatures. Yes. um, I actually looked at the temperature today. McMurdo, Antarctica uh, was 18 degrees Fahrenheit, which was... Um, a good 20 degrees warmer than what Iowa was <laughs> today. So um, stay safe, stay warm, keep fighting the good fight, and we'll talk to you guys again next week. Bye! Bye. I love you. <laughs>